Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 74 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, I have the honor and privilege of sharing with all of you my interview with Leslie Iwerks. For those of you who might recognize the name Iwerks, you'll think, of course, about Ub Iwerks and Don Iwerks, who are Leslie's grandfather and father, respectively, two legendary icons in the world of Disney. Ub Iwerks was the original partner of Walt Disney back with the Laugh-O-Gram Studios. He was the animator of Mickey Mouse and Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. He did quite a bit of technology and innovation for Walt Disney Imagineering. Don Iwerks, his son, also did a lot for the Walt Disney Studios and for Walt Disney Imagineering. And Leslie is, again, Ub's granddaughter, Don's daughter, and she has produced a number of documentaries both about the Walt Disney Company and beyond that. She has produced documentaries that include the Pixar story, The Hand Behind the Mouse, which is the Ub Iwerks documentary, as well as the Imagineering story now available on Disney Plus and so many more. So in today's episode, we talk a little bit about Leslie's family background and the history of her grandfather and her father, what life was like growing up in that family, and what she has done in the world of documentaries and filmmaking. We talk a lot, of course, about the Imagineering story, and I am so excited to share that discussion with all of you. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and share a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. Leslie Iwerks is an Academy Award and Emmy-nominated director and producer and the founder and director of Iwerks & Co. And over a span of more than 10 years, Leslie has produced films that include The Hand Behind the Mouse, The Of Iwerks Story, The Pixar Story, Industrial Light and Magic, Creating the Impossible, and most recently, The Imagineering Story, which is now available to stream on Disney+, Plus. of course. Leslie is also the granddaughter of Of Iwerks and the daughter of Don Iwerks, two legendary icons in Disney history. And with that, I am honored to welcome Leslie to the Imagineer podcast. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Thank you. Nice to be here. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. And like I said, you've done so much within, not just within the world of Disney, but beyond that. And the Iwerks family in general has a huge history at the Walt Disney Company. So I want to talk a little bit about your family history and a lot about your work. To kick things off, I want to talk a little bit about what life was like growing up as a kid in the Iwerks family. I know your grandfather uh, worked with Walt, and unfortunately, he passed when you were very young. Um, so I know you didn't get to know him too well through that lens. But um, other than that, what was life like growing up in the Iwerks family? You know, it was pretty normal. Um, uh, we, you know, as a kid, I, my sister and I uh, were 
a couple of years apart. My brothers had already kind of moved out of the house. Um, they were older and, um, you know, we were just kind of ruffians. We, uh, let, we lived, lived up in the hills in Burbank and my dad, you know, worked at Disney. And so he had a 10 minute drive to the studio, but we, the hills were our backyard playground. Um, and, uh, you know, my dad would bring home 16 millimeter prints from the studio of animated cartoons or live action films, what have you. Uh, and I, we would have all the neighborhood kids over and, um, my mom would make homemade ice cream and we'd swim in the pool and, you know, just play all day. And then that night we would, um, have popcorn and, and watch movies and it was pretty fun. And I guess at the time you, you kind of think, okay, well, I guess this is just normal, but I think looking back on it, you know, not many kids who got real 16 millimeter film prints to watch and project, have a, have a home theater, you know, to project it on. Uh, so that was cool. Um, and then, Every now and then my dad would be able to take me with him to work on weekends to the studio and I would run around the back lot and see the old Western sets and remember the Herbie, Herbie sets and the Shaggy DA sets and um, kind of, you know, sneaking around some of the, the, the sets there, going inside and seeing how things were not really real, obviously, you know. So that kind of was my first exposure to filmmaking and the behind the scenes of things and that not everything is real and you know so it was cool and then he would take me to Disneyland or you know, I remember going to Walt Disney World and Epcot too later and he, we would go in the back lot you know we'd go in the back gate and um and park and go through the warehouses where they were building the animatronics and things and you know, just seeing like a dinosaur being worked on or you know what have you it was pretty cool so you know, those, those were fun. And then as I got older, you know, certainly learned about my grandfather who had passed away when I was one and, um, started to read books about him and, in the early history with Walt. And then my grandmother, you know, was one of my heroes and she would just tell me stories about him and their relationships and, um, you know, just all the friendships that he had with, with his early animators, um, back in Kansas city, but also once they came out to California. So anyway, there was just always new stories to be learning as a kid. And, um, I think my dad, as time went on, um, you know, started to show me what he was working on and always designing lenses and creating camera systems. And it was always over my head, but I really enjoyed, uh, learning from him. And, uh, I started to explore my own artistic side and became an artist and focused on art as a kid. And, um, had my own business by the time I was in high school um, and, you know, hiring my fellow high school friends and, and um, just always, you know, was focused on art. And then by the time I got to college, uh, you know, I was at USC film school and then decided that um, I wanted to go into directing and the idea of doing a film on my grandfather was sort of something that I felt as a kid I always wanted to do and document his life because I knew people that were um, you know knew him were starting to pass away they were getting up there in age and and so I thought if there's anything I can do with a film school degree it's to document my grandfather's story so that's kind of the the trajectory of how I got into film was through that first documentary and um, 
things kept coming from there. Projects kept coming from that point on. So that's a long-winded answer to your question <laughs> of what was life growing up in the DieWorks family. <laughs> no, that's great. I, I, as a, there are a lot of great nuggets in there. I especially, I'm a huge ice cream fan. So the fact that you had handmade ice cream at home is incredible. I think it's something I'll have to try to do myself. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But uh, before we get into your documentary about your grandfather, uh, I'm curious if, especially because both your grandfather and your dad, of course your grandfather, but even your dad worked with Walt a little bit. Did your dad have any uh, stories to share about Walt Disney or what it was like to work with him or to know him um, perhaps outside of work? Yeah, I mean, he didn't work directly with Walt all too much. My grandfather was really more of the um, the direct contact with Walt. Walt, right. I mean, I've never reported anybody else except Walt um, when he returned to Disney in 1940. And so they were always, you know, always had a great relationship. But my dad, you know, worked in the machine shop and he was he was ultimately became head of the machine shop. And so oftentimes Walt, when he came up with an idea, it would be an idea he would run by Ub in the hallway and say, Ub, you know, what if we did a, could we ever do a 360 degree camera system or what have you? And, and I would always say, yes, you know, sure. Let me think about that. Let me figure out how. Uh, and then it would always kind of trickle down to my dad to say, okay, how can we do this? And my dad would say, well, let me, you know, let's figure it out. So they were both, they both worked together up and wall up and my dad. And, uh, I think my dad really was very fortunate to have spent so much time with him learning, learning from him and, and being solving problems for him and with him for Walt. And, you know, basically, you know, there's lots of little stories, you know, when they were working on, um, the, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, and some of those films where you had that minute, you had the miniatures, and then you had the big sets. You know, uh, you know, I would figure out a way to film that so the perspective was right and the and the proportions were right. And there's a great photo of Walt and my dad and grandfather on the on the set, um, standing on a big cow oversized couch, and Walt looking through the camera uh, at them. And so. It, he's it showing off this new um, camera system that allows for the viewer or the camera to capture the perspective in the in the right way. Um, so there's lots of little s stories about those those moments that they had together. Or Walt um, asking my dad, you know, if certain camera systems or projection systems can be ready in time, you know, for for uh, the park's opening or and you know. Don, my dad would always say, yes, we're make, we're going to make it happen, you know? And I think, I think overall the, the memories or the sh stories that were shared by my dad was always that everybody was always so collaborative and so positive. And it was a yes, yes, we can organization. It wasn't something that, oh no, we can't. It, it's, um, it's yes, not, it's not no, because it's yes, if, right? right. So those are the kind of the way in which everybody looked at problem solving and solutions. And um, he, my dad always just said, Walt was just like a regular guy, just always down to earth and nice and um, inquisitive and curious. And he was, he, you know, he was always wanting to know what was happening and, um, but he never really felt intimidated by him. You know, he just always knew that 
he wanted he wanted to get things done and fast, and that was the way people worked. Yeah, it's it's great to hear that, and I've I've heard similar stories from people who have worked with Waltz of his approachability and his focus on uh, solutions to not even problems, but just creativity and and technology and wanting to make these ideas come to life and not focusing so much on the the obstacles, but getting through some of those challenges. Um, so it's great to hear that that was the same in, in the case of your family working with him as well. Um, when it came to working with uh, or working on the, the of iWork story, I, I had heard in a TED talk that you had done that you actually worked with Roy E. Disney, who I have, when I was a kid, I knew when I was pretty young that I, I always loved Disney, but I wanted to work for Disney one day. And I wrote him a letter saying I wanted to work for Disney. And I love the fact that he wrote me a letter back. It's It's been on my wall as sort of a source of inspiration since I was 10 years old. And I, I know that you had had approached him, I believe, for working on the of iWork story. What was that interaction like? And did you find it challenging or was he really on board with wanting to help you with uh, developing your grandfather's documentary? Well, he was, he was very much on board. I, I think the original, the way it originally happened was I had told my dad, I want to make a film about, uh, and I thought about doing it as a USC student film at first. And, but I knew I'd have to get the rights to, from Disney on a lot of the materials and to tell this other side to the creation of Mickey Mouse that a lot of people hadn't heard before, uh, was I, I felt it might be challenging. Um, so my dad wrote a letter to Roy and said, you know, would you consider having a conversation with Leslie? She's a film school graduate at USC. She's got a real vision for this story. She's done a lot of research. She's attained a lot of materials, blah, blah, blah. So he said, sure, I'd be happy to talk with her. Of course, you know, uh, was, um, you know, one of the top uh, formative people of this entire studio. And, um, you know, I'd be happy to chat. So I ended up going one day to his office and meeting with him and he was just very cordial. And, uh, at this point I had done, you know, a proposal, I had done a trailer for it and, you know, left it all with him for him to look at. And then from that point on, um, he corresponded, um, and said, he's got to check, you know, run it up the flagpole with not up, but over <laughs> across, across <laughs> the hall or whatever to Michael Eisner Right. And um, and see what they can do. And so he, he had to kind of get business affairs involved. And, and ultimately, they greenlit it. And the caveat, however, was that it would be a 60-minute film versus a 90-minute film. And I had always wanted to do a feature documentary. So I felt a little bit disappointed in that way that I had to cut out 30 minutes of critical history. Um, but I did it. And then when I showed it to them, they really loved it. And they said, well what were the 30 minutes you felt you could have had in here that you really wanted? And I said, well, I, and I explained it. And then they go, well, why don't you open it back up and add, we'll give you an, we'll double your budget. You add the 30 minutes and let's convert it to film and let's put it up for an Academy Award. That's so amazing. that was really, really gratifying because then I could really get into some of the magical uh, things that I had discovered that I could go a little deeper on. And, that was quite the, you know, quite the first film, you know, to have the Disney company overseeing it and, you know, and negotiating in a sense of, you know, how do we say this and what do we say, you know, all that stuff. And, um, you know, 
Roy's Roy's was super a super fan of Ub and just really admired him and and um, you know had said without Ub there wouldn't have been a Mickey and and you know that was um, you know wonderful and I think for our family it felt good to to have that that support and having just you know interviewed Michael Eisner as well recently I I had never really talked to him about the making of that film or anything afterwards but he told me just recently how you know how important that was and and just you know what a genius and he was just saying you know the company wouldn't have been anything without your grandfather and and it was interesting to hear that from him and and it felt felt nice after so many years and i do feel like after the making of that movie that it did um put him into the spotlight a bit more and i say this with a caveat that my dad always says you know if i were around he would not want you to, to have done that movie because he was not the kind of guy to take credit yeah and and I, maybe that's a little harsh he wouldn't want you to do it but he he just would have been much more humble you know so um but for me it just felt like as a as a documentary filmmaker coming into my own, I just felt like, well, this is a story I'd want to tell no matter what, <laughs> if he was my grandfather or not. And uh, because those are the kind of stories that I enjoy hearing about are the unsung heroes and the people behind the scenes. So um, anyway, so that was, it was a great experience. And the film went on to win lots of awards and traveled around the world. And Disney had me speaking at all these different conferences and giving presentations and, um, and then that led to John Lasseter seeing it. Finally, they invited me up to Pixar and then I screened it up there. And then that's how the Pixar story came about. Yeah. And I, I loved the, uh, the Pixar story. I watched it. It was amazing. I don't think I had seen it in the past. And then I saw it on, I think it was Netflix because it was before Disney plus was around. And I, Loved getting the chance to sort of peel back the curtain. I had read Creativity Inc., which kind of is from Ed Catmull's perspective on Pixar, but it's always interesting to see it from an outside lens of, of how the company operates and to physically see it, you know, you read about it in a book, but then to physically see it in a documentary is incredible. So, um, you know, how did, I'm, I'm glad that John Lasseter sort of approached you for the Pixar, uh, you know, for Pixar. Did he come to you with the idea of wanting to do a documentary or what was the the pitch like for uh for the Pixar story well so <laughs> when I do mention this in the TED in my little TED talk but that I had screened it there and they had asked me somebody in the audience said well if you could do anything that you could do differently what would it be and I said well I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall um, back in the days of the creation of Mickey Mouse and have, you know, wished that somebody had recorded how it was all, how it all transpired. And, and so that gave John the idea that maybe we should be, that they should be doing that about their own um, process and uh, experiences at Pixar, because I think they felt like they were entering a bit of a golden age. Um, and, you know, those, they were all just, each film was, was brand new and pioneering work. And so why not document it? So right after that screening, John says, let's see, would you be open to having lunch with Ed and I up in Ed's office right now? And we could talk to you about this. And he's like, this is all on the fly. He's like, Ed, are you, are you free? And Ed's like, sure. So the three of us now up in Ed's office and, you know, they bring in lunch and John's basically telling me his whole history, you know, sharing the whole history of the company and how they found it. And Ed sharing with me his stories. And it was great. It was an amazing experience. And, and I'm thinking, 
okay, where is this leading? You know? And then John says, would you be interested in telling our story? And he, he said, Ed, what do you think? And Ed says, yeah, sure. You know, I think that's worthwhile. And, you know, what would that look like? And, you know, so basically that started a conversation. So that meeting was supposed to be like, I don't know, 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And it was, John pushed his later meetings back and we just kept talking and talking. And by the end of it, you know, I was directing a documentary on Pixar. <laughs> you <Wow>. know, <laughs> it looked like it was going to happen. And it, it took, it took some months to get the ball rolling and get the financing and get the, you know, all the meetings in place. And I had meetings with lots of different people, including Steve Jobs and um, kind of pitching through the story and what it would be and, and uh, you know, what we thought it could be. And, and then it ultimately ended up going um, and then it would just be, you know, documenting, documenting things as they were happening over a period of years. So it was, it, I got to meet a lot of great people at that studio and made a lot of friends and uh, had a lot of fun. <laughs> it was really a fun project. Yeah, I've, you know, hearing stories about Pixar in general, you know, it's a, a, a really fun, it's a, they work hard, but it's a really fun place to work. And the creative minds that are there are just, obviously, you look at the films that are produced, and you can tell the creativity that's present at Pixar. And it's interesting to be a, a filmmaker doing a documentary on filmmaking. And although it's not exactly the same genre, did you take anything away from Pixar's operations or um, the way that uh, anything you've learned from Pixar that you applied to iWorks and Co or to your films? Well, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, certainly just the brain trust, um, trusting this kind of brain trust was probably a, one of the most um, key parts of how, how their films were all successful. There was no, it was a cross pollination of ideas and um, criticism and all meant to further the success or to embolden the success of each filmmaker. Um, the fact that it was very director driven studio, that was something that was very important for John early on was to make all these new directors, you know, this is their baby and they take ownership of it and weren't, it's not going to be, you know, even though the brain trust is there to offer advice and help, it's, uh, it's definitely the director's film. And they gave me that, that, uh, you know, freedom as well. They, they really, John really empowered me to say, this is your film. You tell our story the way you think it's best told. And we're here to help you and answer questions or provide content or whatever you need, but this is your story. And, and it was really hands off. And, and then, it, you know, of course I had like a four day or three day interview with John with just like full on, you know, six hour interview or four hour interview or whatever it was each day. And that was really helpful. And so they gave me the time that I needed. And, and so I think just, I think the quality of it was was really important to all of us and they gave me the the financing to do it with quality um i think the the uh, that that certainly stuck with me uh certainly disney prior to that with hand me on the mouse was all about quality but it was also about entertainment you know whatever you do as a documentary filmmaker um you know don't bore the audience make it make it entertaining but informative and and so that's really inspired most of my films is 
trying to make it as entertaining as possible while having the emotions and the heart and soul and the ups and downs and the drama all incorporated like you would a normal narrative film. So, uh, so I think, you know, leadership wise, uh, you know, I thought Ed was an amazing leader. I think John was an amazing leader and, and Steve certainly his, the quality of how he, he ran Pixar and his early risks and bold decision-making was definitely influential. And um, it was neat to see the three of them collaborate the way they did during those years. It was really inspirational. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I even can tell the, now that you, you mentioned it out loud, the idea of a, a documentary being not just informative, but entertaining and in some cases even emotional as you know, someone who, who has studied Disney for a long time, I know a lot of, I certainly don't know everything. I tell people you'd be surprised what I don't know. Um, but I, I've always heard a lot of stories about Walt Disney and, and how Disneyland was created and, uh, you know, leading kind of into the Imagineering story. Uh, I feel like there were, there were definitely parts of, especially that first episode that, I plenty of things I had never seen before, a lot I had not heard, and even the way in which the story is told um, actually like brought me to tears because of how, you know, I think when you hear a story back in a certain way, although you might know the information, to, to see it and to see all the pieces of the documentary come together to tell the film or to tell the story, uh, you know, can have a really strong emotional impact. So by the time... <laughs> in the first episode, you talk about, um, you know, Walt passing away and then you see Bob Gurr and Raleigh Crump literally choking up and Tony Baxter talking about the sadness of that day. It really struck me not having, of course I was not around. I didn't see that in person, but I, I felt such powerful, you know, sadness and, and, uh, and sorrow for, for that day. Um, so all, all that to say, I could see how you took a lot of those pieces from, from uh, Pixar, and it definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, so to transition into the Imagineering story, I know you've done a, a lot of other films, but of course want to focus on Disney a little bit. Uh, so how did the Imagineering story come about? Well, and one, one quick thing that I can say, jumping from Pixar to, to any of these projects, is yeah. that I, can, I did gain from Pixar was that they really do get into their characters. You know, you live and breathe these characters and you bring them to life. They're just hand-drawn concepts. But you, just like I works did with Mickey Mouse, you know, you have to infuse life um, into these characters and make them feel like they're breathing and they're living and they have believable traits that you can relate to and emotions that you can relate to. And anyway, so I think that of course, Pixar did, did that with CGI, um, with the computer animated, you know, tools. But for me as a filmmaker, the primarily focused on documentaries most of my career, but, um, you know, transitioning soon into to narrative, uh, the, the feeling of, of going inside a character's head or trying to put yourself in their shoes is something that I do a lot. So if I take on a character like my grandfather, you know, I never knew him. He died when I was one. So I didn't, I had to really imagine what was it like for him to drive all the way out to California and take a risk with Walt again, after having several failed attempts in Kansas city, what was it like for him to, to leave Disney when he did, what was it like for him to come back? What was it like for him to win an Academy Award and 
you know, and, and what were his day in and day out challenges. And, you know, all the, whenever you, whatever you do in any film, certainly with the Imagineers, it's like you have to get in behind their skin and get a feel for what they were going through. And, and that's just part of my DNA is to really try to understand people and try to understand humanity and what, what drove certain decisions. And so <clears throat> now leading to the Imagineering story that when I screened the Pixar story, so I screened Hand Behind the Mouse at Pixar and that led to the Pixar story. And then I screened Pixar story at Imagineering and that led to the Imagineering story. <laughs> and, and Marty Sklar had, you know, invited me to come. And so after that, he said, you know, when are you going to do the Imagineering story? And I said, well, you tell me, you know, that would be amazing. So that's how that happened. And so from that point on, he and I continued to talk and email. And I had several long phone calls with him. Um, and then I also met him at his house one time and we talked about the history and I bullet pointed, you know, what, what he was telling me and really started to come up with an outline of the story arc of the whole history of Imagineering. And, you know, so I think between the two of us working on that initial outline, that is what got it to the point of presentation to the senior executives who would look at it and say, sure, we should do this. And um, I thought it would be like an, you know, we originally talked about like a feature documentary, maybe it'd take a year, year and a half, typical time frame to do a doc. And they came back to me and said, we are wanting to do this project. We're very excited about it, but we want to hire you for five years to document all around the world, to go to each park and cover different events happening over the next five years. Because they felt that they were embarking on kind of an interesting time in, in history with Imagineering, with this building of Shanghai Disneyland and, um, you know, various attractions and lands opening like Cars Land, et cetera, so that I could be documenting all these things. And then in five years time, I would have a film. <laughs> So I was thinking, okay, that's really great, except I was going to be five years before I have a film. So, um, but it was like, who would have thought that it would have converged the way it did with Disney Plus coming out? And, you know, we ultimately had so much material. I interviewed over 200 people for that film and traveled all over the world and went behind the scenes um, in every park and just got amazing stories and coverage. And we went to Shanghai for, I think, five times over the course of the over the years from dirt to to completion um i documented that whole story and that in and of itself could have been its own documentary because of just tracking all the different people and lands and you know updates and everything and challenges and um, it had a lot to it so so anyway so by the end of filming we had so much material i just said to the editors well just go long and edit edit based on what we find from the archives. Let's just flush everything out and who knows, you know, where this could go, but let's just see what we got. Let's just try to pull it all together. So we had a six hour cut at the end of that process that was slightly daunting and scary, but I knew that it was good. Like I thought there's so much rich stuff here and we're starting to get in all this material from Disney Imagineering that no one's ever seen before. And it was every day, you know, it was like, Christmas because we'd be getting in footage that they'd send us and no one's seen it before. And, um, you know, it was making of stuff from back in the sixties or seventies or, you know, and you're just like, wow, this is so cool. And, um, so that's, so we just cut away and then, you know, we had this, this whole 
this whole long cut and, you know, screen that for Imagineers, um, the senior execs there, Bob Weiss. And, and I was pretty nervous because I thought, okay, <laughs> I'm asking them all to sit for six hours right. over a period of, you know, two, two hours each night and watch this. But uh, they did, and they were just really happy with it and really seemed really thrilled and excited about it and um, gave us more notes and told us about other things that we could be including. And, you know, the question was, well, where, where is this going to air? And um, we weren't sure yet. We thought, well, Netflix is kind of the only game in town right now. Uh, would they, would they do it? And we just didn't know, but the reality was for the, for limited amount of money to be added, we could get, um, you know, six hours. We'd have to do all that. We now had to pay for the licensing and all that stuff was added up to more money, but, but it was worth it. And by the, then Disney plus came about, um, unbeknownst to me and they, and they told me about it confidentially and said that, this is coming up, going to be announced in about the next month. And if you can get this whole thing done in the next year, we can have it for launch. So um, then Bob Iger watched it and he liked it. And we had a great meeting in his office and he gave me some more notes and um, just everybody was really collaborative and excited. So here we are. <laughs> now it's being seen around the world. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that when you change it from, uh, you know, a, a six-hour film to thinking of it as a six-part or six-episode um, series, that it almost doesn't seem long enough. <laughs> and I know that people are always wanting, like, you know, even more episodes and are thinking of it like, well, this is just season one, right? There's going to be a season two and a season three. Like, it's amazing how when you just shift that from... Uh, thinking of it as a documentary or as a film to instead being, no, this is a, you know, a six part series that's going to be on, on Disney plus that it becomes more, um, not even just bearable, but, uh, more bingeable, <laughs> um, to just like sit there and go from one episode to the next and, and those little bite-sized segments. Um, I know that you, like you said, you filmed this over, uh, you know, what was originally like a five year, a five year timeline. And, uh, there's, I think I'd heard that you used only about like two and a half percent of the footage <laughs> that was recorded. How do you go about cutting down and deciding what is ultimately going to be in the final, um, the final film, or in this case, the final series? Well, it's, it's not an easy process. I can tell you that much. I can um, imagine. <laughs> Our process is that we interview, we do our research, we interview people with our questions, and then come back, we get that transcribed, and then um, I go through the transcripts and I highlight what I think are going to be, highlight and organize the bites that I think are going to work, and then Mark, our, our uh, lead editor and writer, did the same, um, and then we compared notes, and uh, and then from there, we start we start putting them in buckets, you know, and like organizing this thing about, okay, here's a bite about early Disneyland. And then who else talked about early Disneyland? Um, I, I actually have used this process before where I created what I called the documentary Bible, which is basically a bunch of transcripts. And I organized the bites by subject. And then I know exactly who speaks to what subject. So I did that for Pixar and it was super helpful when I was editing the movie. Um, but as we interviewed more and more people for Imagineering, that process became unwieldy. Um, it just, we couldn't catch up. And so, so, you know, really it took Mark, <clears throat> Mark and Mo, our other editor to 
really, you know, Mark would basically take bites that we both liked and then string them out on a timeline and then um, listen to them and see if they looked good. And then if we liked how they looked and somebody wasn't, you know, you know, stumbling or, you know, looking there was some background noise that wouldn't work, you know, whatever it was, we had to accept the clip, the film bites, and then we would organize them and figure, just start from there and just start creating a, you know, a, um, a working uh, template, so to speak, of, of sound bites that could tell the story and which ones are most economical, which ones are the most dramatic, et cetera. And then, um, you know, that's kind of how that process went. And we would just do sort of this timeline of the storyline in Premiere. And then from there, Mo would take the footage and um, add to it with B-roll and music, and we'd start constructing scenes. So that's kind of how it all works. Yeah. And one of the things that I, um, it's, it's a smaller point, but one that I think had a, a big wow moment for me was the fact that Michael Eisner was a huge part of at least one of the episodes in, in the series. And I say that because I have a, a huge admiration and respect for Michael Eisner and his 20 years at Disney. I think he did so much good for the company but unfortunately, in many cases, is remembered for the last, you know, like for like the bitter divorce with Disney more than the, the 20 years of doing some incredible work. Um, I had not really seen him do much or talk about Disney much since he left the company. Was he like, how did he, how did you approach him and about being a part of the film? And, and what was his sort of initial reaction to that? You know, I sent him an email and, and um just at, told him what we were doing and spoke to his assistant and explained to her what we were doing. And he knew it was, uh, you know, being done by the company and that Bob Iger was behind it. And I think Bob might've even reached out to him and said, you know, we hope you'd like to participate in this. I'm not quite sure if he did or not, but I know um, we wanted to make sure that Michael felt like he was included in this history and, I mean, of course he is, and we wanted to document that. And of course, I wanted to make sure he got in, and I could hear more stories from him. And um, and so finally, they said, "Yes, you can, you know, you will do it." So finally, did it, and uh, he was really fun to sit down and talk with, and very interesting and very forthright, as you can see in the film. I mean, there right. were some things he said I just couldn't I couldn't believe he was telling me that. I'm like, wow, it's great. So he was just so honest. And, um, you know, being able to look back with honesty and integrity about what worked and didn't work, I think was what was really refreshing about that interview. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I loved his, um, definitely his, his forthright attitude and his, you could see he was very happy to be there, which is also really nice to see. And he had this energy and it almost was like looking back at some of his, uh, uh, commercial footage from like announcing when Disney California Adventure was going to open or, you know, he just had this real sort of um, positivity and energy towards it, which I loved seeing. And I, I hope that a lot of other Disney fans uh, felt the same way when they watched it back as well. Um, I, I guess kind of yeah, looking, I think a lot of, I, I think a lot to... of people were just surprised to actually see his face, <laughs> yes. you know, like, <laughs> Oh my God, Michael Eisner is in, is in this show. It's cool. Yeah, it was really, it was definitely refreshing. And I, I loved that he was a, he was definitely a part of that. And like you said, he, he had, he was a huge part of the company's history. So it was great to have him there. Um, looking back at the, the imaginary story as a whole. So 
a lot of people who listen to Imagineer podcast want to be Imagineers. And so you had the, you know, you're, you're in it from two different angles. You have the family history in Imagineering and also seeing how Imagineering operates today and following them and you know, following them all over the world and, and seeing how these creative minds and, and engineers and, and uh, storytellers all come together have you seen any sort of common thread or trait or theme among Imagineers that um, you know you could offer sort of advice for anyone who wants to aspire to be a Walt Disney Imagineer? I think, well, first of all, I think every Imagineer stands on the shoulders of those who came before. And those original Imagineers who collaborated with Walt, you know, really kind of were standing on the shoulders of Walt. So I think that there's this lineage and this DNA that exists in Imagineering today that everyone has a respect for the founder. Everyone has a respect for Walt Disney and what he did. And what I've seen is that, you know, these parks, they get more challenging with, with every park that's built um, for any number of reasons, money, constraints, physical constraints, governments, you name it. But they, it's always this sort of can-do attitude um, there's always challenges, but that's exactly what Walt went through when he built the first Disneyland. Um, and I think that they're trying always to learn the lessons that they learned from previous parks. And I think it's just constant iteration. And certainly the technology gets better and better, gets, makes things more efficient, but it doesn't necessarily mean things take less time um, to get built. And it was fascinating, I think, to watch you know, the building of Shanghai Disneyland, because there were times, I mean, I think a lot of people just thought, how in the world is this, is this ever going to get built? How's it ever going to get finished? And it was daunting. And I still marvel at Bob Weiss and, you know, all that whole team who pulled that together. Uh, it was incredible. Um, and I don't even know the half of it, you know, so um, what they, what they had to go through to get that park completed. Um, but but I think ultimately it's, it's kind of how we end our last episode, which is that constantly asking that question of what if, and what if we did this, how could we do this? And the, the ideas just are always so, you know, forthcoming with Imagineers and the excitement around, um, you know, like Star Wars, for example, you know, all those guys were huge Star Wars fans. So you start with, with a group of passionate people who love and respect the IP or the, the content in which they're working and they have, they want to, they want to make it better and bigger and brighter than any of the fans might expect. And so they're always about surpassing what, what the expectations might be. And so that is an, an exciting and invigorating world in which to work when you're constantly thinking, how can we, surpass what we did yesterday um you know so it's just and it's there's also i felt always very welcomed by the imagineers when i was there i would i never felt like i was you know invading their space or i just felt like they were always so welcoming to share what they were doing and how and why and the thought process behind it and and that was refreshing too. There, I didn't ever feel like there was a bunch of egos or that the culture was kind of, you know, not right. I, I felt like Imagineering 
I think get so much respect because they bring their job is to bring joy to people and no organization is perfect. No organization, you know, or, or company can do it all right. But I've been, I've told a lot of documentaries about companies and, um, you know, cultures. And I have to say, I feel like Imagineering was just super special and it's so it's different. And I think it's definitely had its, challenges and its low points when it comes to management or the way in which they were run. But I feel like, you know, it, it's just a, it's a special place. And the fact that they were sort of coveted for so long and they weren't put out there into the public eye. And only recently they're kind of, you know, with this documentary series and other, and other things that they're doing internally now to show the world what they do and, it just feels like we've opened this huge gift, like unwrapped a big gift box for the world to see who, who's been creating the beloved attractions that these people have been experiencing, you know, throughout their lives. So um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, it's, it definitely does. And it's, um, and in addition to that, I, I love the fact that you, with the Imagineering story, you're right. It's it's sort of bringing us, uh, the viewers, into that world, and especially, uh, you know, as again someone who's been following Disney my whole life, I, I I love every era of it. But then the thing that was especially great was being able to see Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge come to life from start to finish, and having experienced it in person, it was uh, a couple times now. It was really amazing to see how it was developed and um even to get sort of the the behind the scenes look at star wars rise of the resistance which i think is the best attraction that they've created it's sort of this uh like you said building upon the shoulders of those who came before really taking things to the next level um was very cool to see that whole land and that attraction in particular uh come to life as we're kind of rounding out the uh you know our discussion about the Imagineering story in particular, but also any of the other documentaries. I think we're in this, of course, really interesting time as we're recording this. You know, you and I are both at home because we have to be, um, or, you know, sort of uh, you know, like practicing social distancing. And we're in this uh, un unheard of time where all the Disney parks in the world are closed, um, you know, temporarily. And they, you know, will reopen at some point, but I feel like it's a, a really pivotal moment in history. So as a as a filmmaker and also as the filmmaker for the Imagineering story, have you heard from viewers uh, that they're watching the Imagineering sto story more? Um, or have you gotten any feedback about, uh, you know, even before this uh, from from Disney fans or others about the Imagineering story in general? Yeah, I mean, I it's it's been really a, a, a odd time that you know we're all um, home and are trying to be sequestered and quarantined and not get out amongst people. So certainly Disney Plus came about at a great time to yeah. be able to be there to entertain people while they're having to stay home. Um, and I think just with the parks being closed people are you know on twitter and, and and the fact that disney plus just launched in france and europe you know other countries around the world people are writing in that they're just thrilled to be seeing this because they're not able to go to the parks and uh i was on the i was on the last disney cruise as the guest speaker 
um, about three weeks ago, I guess it was. Yeah, three weeks ago today, I came back. And uh, we were, <clears throat> it was when the world was starting to collapse around around us. We were out at sea and, and weren't sure whether we were going to be able to get back on land or what was going to happen. And everybody was scared there was going to be some, you know, somebody sick on the boat, whatever. But reality was that, you know, as the guest speaker, I was able to provide the Imagineering series uh, to everybody. And so many people were so thankful. They were like, God, you know, it's just so cathartic to, to watch this series and, and um, feel like we're sort of part of the park, but we're not because we can't go there. Uh, they were, a lot of them were going to go to Anaheim after landing in San Diego and, you know, it's closed. So, um, you know, the thanks that I've been getting has been very gratifying to, to say, you know, we have something that you can watch and, and be inspired by because these Imagineers are just so inspirational. And, and that's, that was the biggest joy for me was to be able to tell a story about a, an amazing group of artists and people, um, Imagineers who have inspired and brought joy to so many people in their lives. But yet, you know, what, what did they go through? What challenges did they have to overcome to do it? And um, I think that those stories are what inspires people that they can and it motivates young people that they too can be an Imagineer someday. If they just stick to it, you know, think creatively. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I personally have definitely appreciated it as well. And, uh, you know, getting the chance to, to, to see how it all comes to life and to feel inspired by it. So um, I'm very thankful to you for this, for the series as well. Um, so for anyone who is looking to follow your future work and any of the work that's out there, of course, Imagineering stories on Disney plus, and I believe you can see the Pixar story there as well, but where can people go to either follow you or iWorks and co and, and learn more about what's coming in the future? Well, we have our uh, we have our socials, so Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and then we have iWorks and Co's website, uh, which we're you know we'll post what we can when we can about new new projects. Um, right now, we're in development on a bunch of a bunch of things that uh, will probably be announced soon. But needless to say, the the uh, quarantine has not kept us from getting things done and moving forward. So it's been it's been quite busy, which is great. And um, you know, our goal is to hopefully continue to work on these on more with the Imagineers and continue to tell their stories and and broaden out from there. Perfect. I will make sure to plug all that in in the podcast description, so people can easily find all those uh, social media sites and the website. And I'll I'll plug it on my social media pages as well. But uh, Leslie, I know your time is incredibly valuable, so I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat with me about, the, uh, about all these documentaries and your history, and uh, I, I just am so thankful for you to take the time. So thanks so much for coming on to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's really great talking to you. Appreciate your interest in um, sharing all the Disney stories over your podcast through the years. So keep up My the good pleasure. work. Thank you. All right. Take care. With that, we close out episode 74 of the Imagineer podcast. I want to give a very special thank you once again to Leslie for coming onto the show and taking some time to chat about her history at iWorks & Co., some of her 
stories about filmmaking and about her family legacy at the Walt Disney Company. I, of course, want to turn the conversation over to you to hear of all of Leslie's films, which is your favorite, and I especially want to hear your thoughts about the Imagineering story and which of the six episodes is your favorite. You can send me your feedback and answers in so many different ways. You can either reach out to me on social media through a direct message or a post or a story. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok at Imagineer Podcast, on Twitter at Imagineer News, and you can join our Facebook group, The Imagination, also called The Imagineer Podcast, Disney Fan Community, to converse not just with me, but with other members of The Imagineer Podcast community. You can also send me an email at imagineerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't yet liked the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, follow the podcast, whatever you prefer to do on your favorite podcast app, be sure to subscribe, whether you're listening in Apple Podcasts, in Spotify, in Stitcher, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast app. If you hit subscribe or follow or like, you'll be sure to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you have about a minute of your time, I would love to hear your thoughts in a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store. We have over 300 five-star reviews. Thanks to all of you for rating and reviewing the show in the past. And again, I would look forward to anyone listening who hasn't yet rated and reviewed the show to hear what you have to say about Imagineer Podcast. If you would like to take your love of Imagineer Podcast to the next level, look into the Imagineer Society by going to patreon.com slash Imagineer Podcast to learn how you can help to support the show financially and in return get exclusive perks and benefits. It even includes just a dollar a month, which is only $12 a year. That still gets you some perks and benefits in return, but whether you donate $1, $5 a month, $15 a month, or more, there are plenty of perks to unlock, and you can learn more all about that by going to patreon.com slash Imagineer Podcast. And thanks, as always, to all of our Imagineer Society members. Of course, one of the best things you can do for the show, though, is just to share it. Whether you share out this discussion with Leslie or any other episode, episode of the show, or if you talk about Imagineer Podcast on a social media channel, in a Facebook group, with your friends, whatever you do to share the news about Imagineer Podcast does so much to help this community to continue to grow. And I would encourage you to check out our partners. First, check out the Kingdom Insider because Christy has a lot of incredible information to share timely news about all things Disney, uh, relevant and accurate news at that. And she also shares some incredible tips about traveling to Disney, both Walt Disney World, Disney Cruise Line, and other Disney destinations, and how you can bring the magic of Disney into your own home. So you can follow The Kingdom Insider at thekingdominsider.com or at The Kingdom Insider on any social media channel. And I would encourage you to also look into our partner, Academy Travel, when you're ready to book your next vacation to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, 
Disney Cruise Line, Aulani, Adventures by Disney, or any other Disney destination around the world. Academy Travel has been helping families to plan their vacations for more than 25 years, and they are diamond earmarked, which is the highest distinction that Disney bestows upon travel agencies. They're one of the top three, if not the number one, travel agency for Disney vacations around the world. And you can request a free quote, no obligation, by clicking on any of the links in the podcast description. Just click on Walt Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line in the show notes. That'll take you to a free request form to get a free quote. Again, no obligation. And if you decide to book with them, it's all at no additional charge to you. They can even help you to save money. So be sure to check out Academy Travel. And last but not least, I hope that you are doing everything that you can to go after your dreams and your goals, whatever they might be. Just take that first step today or that second step today to make that dream a reality. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons, if you can dream it, you can do it. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. about our approach, we keep moving forward. We're always exploring and experimenting. We call it Imagineering.